Hello, my rebels. Today I go through a startling day in military affairs, diplomacy, and I guess self-respect. I show how Justin Trudeau reacts to the news that Iran shot down an airliner killing 63 Canadian citizens. Just unbelievable. And who he blames will knock your socks off. So that's the show today. Uh, lots of video clips, which you can see in the video format of this podcast, which is our premium content. If you go to premium.rebelnews.com, it's eight bucks a month you get the video version of the podcast. You get all that good stuff that our producers put together, the clips, the charts. I show a chart of foreign aid from Canada to Iran. Did you know that we send foreign aid to Iran? I'm not kidding. I'll show you the chart. Can't see that in a podcast. Hey, guys, go to rebel, go to premium.rebelnews.com to become a subscriber. It's only eight bucks a month. Okay, here's the podcast. Tonight, Iran shot down the Ukrainian airline that crashed, killing 63 Canadians. So what's Trudeau gonna do about it? It's January 9th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government about why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. Iran-backed terrorists physically attacked the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad on December 31st. They didn't get in, but it looked terrifying. A reminder of how al-Qaeda terrorists smashed through the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya in 2012 with impunity under Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Now, Donald Trump is very different. Instead of turning the other cheek, he literally sent in the Marines, flying in 100 or so from nearby Kuwait, just in case you couldn't tell, he was different from the appeasement stance of the past. Trump tweeted that this would be his anti-Benghazi, as in don't mess with him. You know, pay attention to Trump's tweets. I think you'll learn more from them by, than by watching the nightly news. He issued what he called a threat, not a warning. See that there? Uh, to Iran for staging the attack. And sure enough, uh, he had a precision airstrike against the number two man in Iran, Qasem Soleimani, the terrorist general. Oh, did Iran gnash their teeth at that one? Look at this. Generals crying on TV about their lost terrorist hero. They threatened America so badly, um, but Trump threatened them back, saying if they touched an American, Trump would flatten not one, but 52 Iranian targets. The whole world was worried was it the start of World War III? And then Iran blinked. They fired about 15 rockets, not at Americans, but at Iraqi air bases. There were some Americans on those bases, but not one was hurt. Of the 15 rockets we know about, by the way, four didn't even go properly. The, the missiles failed. Iran essentially set off some fireworks, they also published really tough-looking photos and videos of their supported, supposed massive counterattack, but they were quickly shown to be fakes. Or more accurately, photos from earlier battles elsewhere. As in, Iran was just trying to look tough to its own people. 
but it backed down. It blinked. And so Trump had a triumphant press conference. Take a look. Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. Not only was World War III averted, but American, uh, America and Iran and the world, well, they all look a little bit different, don't they? America no longer looks like a helpless giant as it was under Obama and Hillary Clinton. If you touch a single American, if you shoot an American base or embassy, get ready to be flattened. Everyone in the world knows that now, beyond a shadow of doubt. The whole world knows also that Iran has a bit of BS and bluster. I mean, of course it should be feared. They're terrorists, they'll kill you. But not to the point of being so afraid that you appease them, not to the point of cowardice, as the West, particularly Europe, has done recently. In fact, at that same press conference, Trump asked NATO to take a bigger role at containing Iran. Today, I am going to ask NATO to become much more involved in the Middle East process. So a huge win for all the good guys. And Trump keeps his promise of being America first in terms of self-respect, but not someone looking for new foreign wars of adventure. Except one huge thing. See, there was a Ukrainian passenger plane that crashed in Tehran right around the time of Iran's impotent attack on the Iraqi airbase. Like I say, not a single American was wounded, let alone killed. Four of the Iranian missiles misfired even. But hundreds of miles away, over 170 people died in a plane crash. A new plane, just four years old, modern and safe, and according to the Ukrainian airline, it had a very experienced crew. So did it really just crash? If so, why did Iran say they would refuse to give the black box up to Boeing? You know what I mean by the black box, that crash-proof device that records all the instruments in the plane, what happened to any plane right up to the last moment so investigators might learn the cause of a crash? Why did Iran immediately come up with an obviously fake excuse, engine trouble, how would they know, um, but hide the real proof, the black box? You know, I took a poll on Twitter and asked my followers, I said, which do you think is more likely, an accident or a shoot-down? 12,000 people voted. Um, look at that, I guess 80% of my followers are pretty skeptical. Look, we knew what was up, and that was last night that I did that poll. All right, last night also... Canada's new foreign minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, well, he made a friendly phone call to Iran. Friendly. Here, let me read from his official readout, as it's called. That's a partial point form summary of the call as released by his office. You can see it here. You see where it says, the two exchanged condolences for the victims of the crash. See that in the, in the second line there? You can see that Champagne said Canada had many questions that need to be answered. But he didn't say what the questions were or who had to do the answering. And as you can see, there were no notes about what Iran said in reply. I won't even call that a self-serving press release by Champagne because it actually doesn't serve Champagne to be so subordinate, to be so surrenderish. Now, I note that Iran didn't bother to issue a recap of the conversation. They're probably still laughing at us. You know, Champagne, this foreign minister of Canada, Trudeau's guy, he sent out a press release um, after Trump took out that terrorist general. But Champagne was even-handed as between good and evil. 
as between terrorists and our friendliest democracy. Trudeau himself was still in vacation mode, but his foreign minister said that both sides need to restrain themselves. Really, both sides need to exercise restraint and pursue de-escalation. Not just the terrorists, but Trump reacting to the terrorists. Both sides are bad. How's that both sideism working out for you now? 63 Canadians dead on that plane. Now, U.S. President Donald Trump said the obvious early today. Um, the crash was suspicious. Well, I have my suspicions. Yeah. He could see the obvious, as could 80% of my followers on Twitter. Trudeau, he's still pretty much on vacation mode. And the mainstream media loves his new lazy vacation mode Beard, look at that. Oh, they just can't get enough of the beard. That's a big story in Canada now, guys. It's the beard. Trudeau's still taking personal days, by the way. Uh, he didn't bother to make a public statement. I mean, didn't bother to call up Donald Trump. He hasn't talked to Trump since he mocked Trump at that NATO conference last year. <laughs> it was a joke of the season. <laughs> yeah, can I state the obvious? Trudeau is completely mentally checked out of Canadian affairs, totally checked out from foreign affairs that touch on Canada. By contrast, Trump never takes a day off. So finally, NBC News said what we all pretty much knew. Iran shot down the plane with a missile. Now, the CBC didn't break that news. They weren't that interested. I mean, they were more interested in that cool beard and everything. I mean, they were interested, but they knew what we all knew. And they're pro-Iran, just like they're pro-China, just like they're anti-American. So they showed a remarkable lack of curiosity in chasing down the facts. So they let a foreign network break the obvious news. Good day, everyone from New York. We're coming on the air with breaking news regarding that Ukrainian airliner that crashed in Iran early Wednesday morning, killing at least 176 people. A U.S. official tells NBC News that intelligence evidence suggests the plane was mistakenly shot down by Iranian anti-aircraft missiles. Yeah, for an hour after that, the CBC News website had no stories about the shootdown because they didn't have their marching orders yet from the prime minister's office. Well, that changed. The official line was, don't say a single bad word about Iran. In fact, defend them, but blame Donald Trump. I'm serious. Here's the CBC's Katie Simpson. 63 Canadians dead because of the, the unintended consequences uh, of a decision made by the U.S. president. Oh, oh is, that, is that what happened? Here's another CBC reporter with the identical line. Who's to blame, right? I mean, in terms of, is it the United States? Is it Iran? Is it both? Who's to blame here for, for, for what happened? Oh my God, they are serious. And then when Trudeau finally put on a suit and had a coffee and tried to dry out a bit, went to a press conference, he took three questions from the media and said the same thing, three identical questions, with the absurd blame Trump line. I'm sorry, that's not a coincidence. That's 
media scripting. Here, take a look at these three. Hi, Prime Minister. I just want to circle back to an earlier question. If the intelligence is accurate, then it seems this is the end result of a sequence of events that was sparked by the drone strike ordered by the U.S. President. So given the information you have, how much responsibility does the United States bear for this tragedy? The Evidence suggests that this is the likely cause, but we need to have a full and complete and credible investigation to establish uh, exactly uh, what happened. Uh, that is what we are calling for, and that is what we are expecting will happen. Given the tensions um, in the area that were the cause of a drone strike by the United States, do you think that the United States is at least partially responsible for this tragedy? I think it is uh, too soon to be drawing conclusions or assigning blame or responsibility in whatever proportions. Right now, our focus is on supporting uh, the families that are grieving right across the country and providing what answers we can uh, in a preliminary way, uh, but recognizing that there is going to need to be a full and credible investigation into what exactly happened before we draw any conclusions. Um, earlier today, President Trump characterized, um, well, said he had concerns that, that, that a missile might have brought down the plane, and he said it was a, it's a very rough neighborhood. I was wondering what you thought of that characterization. How does it make you feel? I'll let Mr. Trump's uh, words stand for themselves. Do you feel that the U.S. is partly responsible for this, given that they created the situation in which the, the missiles were launched? I think that's one of the many questions that people will be thinking about and trying to find answers to. For the moment, uh, I just want to underline the importance of having a full and credible investigation so that we can get those facts and then we can continue to uh, analyze based on those facts. Not a word condemning Iran in the whole press conference. I watched the whole thing. No threats against Iran, no accusations, not one consequence, but three speculations that Donald Trump was to blame. Iran shoots down a civilian airliner in an attack on an Iraqi airbase. The airliner's hundreds of miles away, by the way. And the media party in Canada and Trudeau blame Trump. I'm serious. Oh, and the CBC is literally arguing that Iran has no obligation to even turn over the black boxes. I'm not, not kidding. Look at this. A whole series of pro-Iran tweets by this guy, a CBC journalist. I bet they were first drafted in Tehran, and the CBC just translated them from Farsi to English. So here we are. And we started with the obvious news. No one in the world will dare touch America or Americans now out of fear of massive retaliation from Trump. America's standing tall. The world's tyrants are cowering before him, before Trump in America, but Iran is chastened in regards to America. No World War III, but Canada? Canada just got slaughtered, 63 people, triple our losses on 9-11. Worst attack since the Air India bombing. And Trudeau? Well, nothing. Yeah, you know, worse than nothing. He's blaming Trump. For some reason, Trudeau still gives foreign aid to Iran, close to $20 million to Iran since becoming prime minister. Not a chance of a complaint about that. No call for a UN investigation. No call for anything. Everything's fine under Trudeau. Trudeau um, spoke on the phone with the prime minister of Ukraine. That's a good idea. And for some reason, he called up the prime minister of Holland. But no call to Trump. Oh, why would he? He wants to blame and insult Trump, and he knows Trump doesn't have a lot of time for him anymore. I actually think Trump is a big enough man that he would take a phone call from Trudeau if Trudeau phoned. 
But I bet Trudeau didn't even think of calling him. I think he's scared to call Trump. So what should we do? I mean, Canada is not strong enough to really hurt Iran like America could. Iran laughs at us like, like China does. But we can do a few things. I can think of half a dozen. I've listed them on a petition at baniran.ca. Baniran.ca. You can sign our petition there if you like. Um, here's, here's some of the uh, suggestions I have. Number one, list the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a banned terrorist group. Number two, expel Iranian nationals who organize the annual Iran-directed Al-Quds Day hate march in Canadian cities. Number three, revoke the student visas of Iranian nationals who are studying in Canadian universities. Number four, freeze Iranian assets in Canada sufficient to compensate the Canadian victims of this terrorism. Number five, call for an emergency UN meeting to pass a resolution condemning Iran. And number six, immediately cancel the millions of dollars a year Canada sends to Iran in foreign aid. You can sign our petition at baniran.ca. Look, none of that's going to bring back 63 murdered people. And unlike Trump's military, it won't actually deter Iran from its aggression. But we should do it just for the self-respect. Ban the terrorists. Kick out their foreign nationals. Stop giving them free money. Seize their assets. At least argue against them with the UN. But what's the likelihood of any of that happening? Well, let me put it this way. Justin Trudeau's brother, Alexandra, who was his leadership campaign foreign policy advisor. Uh, he's so pro-Iran, he literally made a movie with Iran called The New Great Game, a pro-Iran propaganda film. Yeah, Trudeau is fine with all this, just like he's fine with China taking two Canadian hostages, holding them for more than a year. Now, the world has learned not to touch Trump, don't touch any American. And the world has learned that they can do pretty much anything to Canada that they want. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, we've been telling you about the battle for the gas pipeline that would go from the fracked natural gas oil wells of the BC interior to the west coast, Kitimat, where it would then be liquefied, put on those interesting LNG, liquefied natural gas ships, and sent to Asia. The whole project, from drilling to piping to LNG port, is $40 billion. It's literally the largest project in all of Canada. And the pipeline part is worth $6 billion. All 20 Aboriginal bands along the route have signed agreements with the pipeline. They love it. They get jobs. They get set-asides. It's, it's great. The courts have ordered protesters out of the way repeatedly. They refuse to leave. It's almost a question of whether or not the police will uphold the law. I'm not holding my breath. Well, that is not the only project that hangs in the balance. There's another massive oil sands project, this one, in Alberta. And even though it's smaller in scale than the massive GasLink project, I would put it to you, it's even more important given how battered the Alberta economy is. Now, the thing is, it hasn't yet been given the green light by Justin Trudeau. 
Joining us now to talk about this is our friend Lauren Gunter, senior columnist for the Edmonton Sun. Lauren, great to see you again. Tell us a little bit about the Tech Resources Frontier Oil Sands project. Has it already passed all its regulatory hurdles? It, it's passed every hurdle except the federal liberal cabinet. So back in the, uh, the summertime, both federal regulators and Alberta provincial regulators signed off on it. There are 14 First Nations and Métis communities in the area. They, like the, the communities along the, the, the coastal gas link uh, pipeline, have all signed off to. All 14 have economic sharing agreements with Tech Resources out of Vancouver, uh, who, who are the, the lead on, on this project. And uh, tech has even arranged so that as part of the mine is exhausted, it will reclaim that area so that the, the native uh, buffalo populations in this area have enough area to graze on. They have tons of, of space to, to graze on. So every T has been crossed, every I has been dotted, except signing off by the, the federal cabinet. And the federal cabinet has sent out not even really mixed signals, but but signals that uh, that, that make me worry. Uh, uh, Jonathan Wilkinson, who is the new environment minister, isn't as extreme in his rhetoric as Catherine McKenna, who he replaced. But I think he's equally extreme as an environmentalist. I mm -hmm. think that uh, you know he's he probably ideologically just as far out as McKenna was, and he has said that he he can't see a way to go ahead with Frontier if Canada is still deeply committed to meeting its Paris climate goals. Wow. Uh, so th that's very worrisome. Yeah. Well, you've written a, uh, a column about this just recently. Um, I have it in my hand here. It's called Tech Mines Fate, a test of liberal support for the West. Now, I said this was smaller than that coastal gas link, but it's, it's not much smaller. Let me just read a little bit from no. your article. Frontier is three times the size of Trans Mountain in terms of cost, $21 billion versus $7 billion, and it would employ as many as five times more workers following construction as TMX. So I, I didn't realize, I mean, $21 billion, a billion here, a billion there. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's and and they, there's no and pipeline. what they call a shovel and truck. It's a shovel and truck mine, which yeah. means that they have to dig out the, the, the land and put it in the back of big trucks to take the bitumen to be processed. Mm -hmm. So uh, there'll be 2,500 people employed there permanently, probably about 4,000 employed in Alberta during construction, mm -hmm. another 800 to 1,000 in the rest of the country, mm -hmm. and then about 2,500 permanently employed uh, at the mine for 40 years. So, you know, a couple of, couple of uh, working lifetimes for, for a lot of people. Uh, really good, high-paying jobs in, mm -hmm. in the oil sands, uh, and yet somehow uh, this is not a slam dunk. Yeah, if all the Indian bands are on side, there's no pipeline issue. Um, I've never, I haven't heard of protesters like I this gasoline thing we were talking about. There's a handful of, I call them actors because they <laughs> they're not elected Indian chiefs or council members. They're just, oh, I'm an Indian. Um, paid by Tides Foundation in San Francisco. Listen to me. Maybe, maybe that's why the Prime Minister likes them so much. Yeah. They're actors like he is. Yeah, that's right. So, like, this is in Alberta. You're not uh, foisting 
industry on BC. It's in Alberta. They love it. All the Indian bands are ready to roll. Everyone's hurting there. How, when, how long, like at, at a certain point, I got to imagine, tech says, okay, we get the message. We will go do business yeah. in the United States, in Australia, in, yeah, like at a certain point, the $21 billion gets impatient. I wouldn't know. I've never had $21 billion, but I'm guessing it won't wait forever. Well, tech, tech has been incredibly patient till now. They have been working on this proposal for eight years. Hmm. So, you know, they, they started working on this. Uh, I guess this will be the ninth year. 2020 will be the ninth year. They started working on this in 2011. And, uh, and they have been very patient, very solid about putting this all together in exactly the right way. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Liberal cabinet, I'm guessing the Liberal cabinet will approve it. I, I, I'm a little leery about saying that with certainty, mm -hmm. but look at what they did with Trans Mountain. I mean, so, so they buy Trans Mountain so that they can say, well, you know, we're mm -hmm. doing what we can. Uh, mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't blame us for the fact it's not built. And then in every other way, they do nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, very important to know that when the last group back in the summer, the last group of environmentalists and the last group of First Nations raised objections at the federal court in Ottawa, the federal court said, look, we'd have knocked down all 12 of these complaints, mm -hmm. but the six from First Nations, the federal lawyers didn't bother to oppose. Mm -hmm. They didn't say yes. They didn't say no. They didn't do anything. They did what, what is called laying down tools. Yeah. They put their tools down and they sat there. Hmm. So that's what the liberals have been doing with Trans Mountain. I think they can do something similar with Frontier. They'll approve it, mm -hmm. and then as all of the heavily funded, foreign-funded environmentalist and, and First Nations groups uh, raise objections and hold this up in court, the feds will just go, I don't, I don't know what we can do. We have to let the, the courts do their thing. I mean, we, we can't intervene. And that would delay it and delay it and delay it until, like, say, the Energy East pipeline. Mm -hmm. There were enough delays that finally... The contractor just walked away. They said, yeah. we, we can invest our money, as you correctly pointed out, we can invest our money in, in places that are much more interested in it than Canada. Yeah. And so that's my concern, is that Frontier will probably get approved, but then it will be choked and strangled bit by bit until tech uh, eventually, two or three years from now, throws up its hands and walks away. You, you know, you, during the uh, public comment period, which went from late October to late November, on the Tech Resources Frontier project, there were First Nations groups that came forward and complained, but they weren't any of the duly elected representatives right. of First Nations in those areas. Yeah, they were central These casting were, from Hollywood. They were, uh, you know, they were absolutely California bought and directed. I'm sure of it without even knowing their names. Yeah. You know, I, you know see, so, I see news mm -hmm. almost every week now, Lorne, uh, now that the election is over, Statistics Canada and other uh, sources of information, other bank economists are saying, oh boy, our economy is weak, it's starting to shrink, uh, it may be a recession, confidence is falling, investment, like all this bad news, we didn't hear about it until the election was safely over. Yeah. And to me, that calls into the question the uh, nonpartisanship of StatsCan, but let's set that aside. If I were a bank economist, a cabinet minister, someone with huge responsibilities for the economy. 
and I saw things slowing. I can't imagine anything would be better than green lighting a $21 billion project. Not only would the $21 billion make a big dent, and I read in your column that, uh, of course, this would send billions of dollars in tax money to Ottawa, which is, is yeah. needed, but it would be a symbol, okay, there's some optimism. People are investing. Things are going, oh, we need to, you know, probably buy another thousand pickup trucks. We need to get some yeah. hotels yeah. and restaurants, surveying, engineering, like it, like things, what you, you unlock $21 billion, a lot of things start to happen. Maybe you could even affect the curve of the entire economy by a half a percent. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty big. That's about probably where you're at. The, the, the amount that would go to Ottawa every year from just this one mine would be around 400 million a year, every year for 40 years. Hmm. Like, this is a government that has choked off all sorts of revenue sources by closing, basically closing down uh, new developments in, in energy. Uh, and it could go ahead with this and get an extra 400 million a year. Uh, okay, that's kind of a drop in the bucket given the size of the deficits they have. But at least it shows that they are adding one column and the other column together and figuring out that, that the two are related. But I, I, the, the big problem is you say, you know, if you're a bank economist or a cabinet minister, you couldn't see saying no to this. Mm -hmm. That's because you have a realistic idea of the future economy that you know you you can't simply stop producing resources and hope that there will be other things that pop up of equal worth and value to take their place but if you're Jonathan Wilkinson the federal the federal environment minister or Justin Trudeau the the uh, uh, prancer in chief or whatever it is he's become now uh, you think you don't believe that you believe in your, your, like your old buddy Gerald Butts believes mm -hmm. that we simply have to stop producing fossil fuel yeah. and in their place will suddenly spring up as if by magic, wind, solar, biofuels, all sorts of alternatives that are green. Uh, we'll suddenly find the philosopher's stone that allows us to turn water into fuel and everything will be magically the same. We'll, we'll have the same standard of living, the same number of people will be employed, they'll all have the same kind of income. You, you are hard pressed to find jobs that produce the kind of income for tradespeople that they find in the energy sector. Yeah. It's very, very lucrative work. Yeah. It's tough work. It's miserable work. You are out in the middle of a bog in January in the dark yeah. doing tough work. Yeah. But it's compensated. Yeah. You properly compensate. Yeah. You, that doesn't happen if you're suddenly doing windmill, yeah. you know, wind turbine maintenance. Yeah. And and the thing is that in Ontario, for instance, it's the same, very much the same people who are devising the federal policy on energy devised Ontario's policy for ten years under the McGuinty government and the Wind government, and they said, oh. These plans will produce five hundred thousand jobs hmm. in green energy. The Auditor General in Ontario said at most, she was kind of skeptical about this, but at most it produced 12,000. Hmm. And most of those jobs disappeared as soon as the subsidies ended. Yeah. It's not economically real. Yeah. It's fantasy. You know, and so, yeah. one of the um, 
uh, interesting but probably uh, doomed to be unsuccessful candidates in the Democratic presidential primaries in the states. Colorful character named uh, Yang, Andrew Yang. Uh, the, um, he has some quirky ideas, but he's, he's, a, he's interesting. He was asked about fossil fuels and shutting them down. He's a Democrat. And he mm -hmm. said, anyone who says coal miners can simply learn how to do coding obviously doesn't know much about coal mining or coding. And right. I thought, you know what? That is bloody true. Yeah, well, that, that was because Joe Biden, the former vice president, had said, look, if you can go 3,000 feet down into a coal mine, you can learn how to code. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying coal miners are dumb. I'm just saying it's a completely no. different thing. And by yeah. the way, you got a 50-year-old guy who's been working tools and equipment his whole life, yep. and he's saying, now go sit down with some uh, uh, internet, uh, extremely internet, digital, native, 21-year-old kids, and, hey, you can do some TikTok vids. That doesn't understand people or real no. life, but that's, that's Trudeau's world. I want I want that 50 year old guy who's been working 30 years in the mine with tools living next door to me because I guarantee you I have no mechanical aptitudes at all. <laughs> and when something breaks, I want that guy. That's right. So I'm not disparaging anybody who works. Oh, I know. I mean, either. Yeah. But, but you know, we we used to have a guy lived across the alley from me when I was growing up named Vern, and and Vern was the best guy. He worked at a tire plant in 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 Medicine Hat. And he was one of the best guys to have around because anytime something broke, Vern loved to come over and fix it. Mm. And and you know I have tremendous respect for the Verns of the world, but uh, but I, I don't expect I could learn how to code yeah. or Vern could learn how yeah. to code. just it, it's just preposterous. And that's the whole point of progressives yeah. and their thinking about green yeah. energy and green economies. Yeah. It's preposterous. Yeah. Very frustrating. Well, I have to say, and let me close on this. I know uh, you've been generous with your time. Uh, last time I saw you, if I recall, it was when we had some of our Wexit town hall meetings in Calgary and then Edmonton. And, and one of the questions was, well, will Jason Kenney, as Premier of Alberta, be able to push back on this? And my view then is even stronger now. Unless Jason Kenney has an or else after his demands, why on earth would the Liberals listen to him? And if this tech mine, it's $21 billion in job, uh, in, in investment, it's thousands of jobs, and its symbol of hope is rejected, well, I think Jason Kenney will have to rethink his opposition to having an or else, because yep. Yep. I think exhaustion and, and hopelessness will skyrocket if this thing fails. Yeah, but as I said, my guess is that we're going to get something in between. We're going to get an approval that means nothing. Huh. Well, and, we'll keep... and it's going to drag out for two or three years. Oh, my God. Well, we'll keep uh, watching on this. I know this is something you've been following closely. Thanks very much for coming on the show. The article is called Tech Minds Fate, a test of liberal support for the West. And we've been talking to our friend Lauren Gunter. Great to see you, my friend. Thank you. Good to see you. All right. There you are. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday about Jean Charest working for Huawei. Nate writes, the fact that Jean Charest is even being touted as a possible leader shows how morally corrupt the Tories are. Well, look, the Tories aren't uh, voting for him. 
It's just some Tory insiders in the media who think he'd be great. I think he would get crushed. I don't think, uh, I don't think he'd get 20% of the vote um, of the current membership. But we'll see if he runs. Phil writes, Charest's claim to fame was running a corrupt government in Quebec, and there's no reason to think that wouldn't happen nationally. Yeah, um, I, I just think he's so not a fit. Uh, it just sort of made me chuckle that all these party insiders thought he was great. But the fact that he would even consider running after working for China against Canada, it just blows my mind. On my interview with Joel Pollack, Gordon writes, President Trump is America's Winston Churchill. He's fighting to protect us from evil in the world. So glad I live in the era of Trump. Oh, I tell you, on every single thing from Iran to judges to NATO to North Korea to, to everything, imagine if Hillary Clinton were president now instead of Trump. Oh, I can only imagine. I can only. It would be an American airliner, God forbid, that would have been shot down. Well, that's our show for today. Go to baniran.ca if you want to join our petition. I'm deeply embarrassed that Justin Trudeau won't lift a finger against Iran, but he'll blame Trump three times. All right, that's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.